Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. Mr. Zuckerberg, do I have your full attention? No. Do you think I deserve it? What? Do you think I deserve your full attention? I had to swear an oath before we began this deposition and I don't want to perjure myself, so I have a legal obligation to say no. Okay, no. You don't think I deserve your attention? I think if your clients want to sit on my shoulders and call themselves tall, they have a right to give it a try, but there's no requirement that I enjoy sitting here listening to people lie. You have part of my attention, you have the minimum amount. The rest of my attention is back at the offices of Facebook, where my colleagues and I are doing things that no one in this room, including and especially your clients, are intellectually or creatively capable of doing. Did I adequately answer your condescending question? of Surviving Chick Flicks, Manly Movie Edition. I'm John. I'm Sammy. And I'm Joseph. Yay! <laughs> he went from the guest who wouldn't leave to co-host. Aww. Sammy, you got his gift, right? <laughs> what gift? Oh. Oh, you didn't check the email. Okay. <laughs> I'm heartbroken now. I, didn't, I was yeah. supposed to gift... I just found out I'm supposed to get a gift, and then I found out I don't get one. That's like, that was like a whiplash right there. Right. But was she rushing or was she dragging? So you see, the problem was John (laughs) is a a product of the 80s, so he still thinks that email is something people use. Uh, him. (laughs) But yeah, no, Joseph is now officially, uh, part of the fold so we welcome him and he's not apparently going anywhere <laughs> nope i'm like a bad case of herpes uh you can't get rid of me oh god <laughs> well speaking of herpes this week we're talking about <laughs> mark zuckerberg <laughs> uh but uh as you know this is our manly movie of the month and this month is sammy's pick and sammy what are we doing? It's like they didn't read what they downloaded. <laughs> the social network. All right. So so let's play the trailer, and then we'll get into whatever mad ramblings happen around a mild discussion of the film. I want a perfect body. 
need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles? I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours? Thousand. 22,000. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it says. So did we? A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. You're going to get left behind. It's moving faster when than any of us ever imagined get it left would behind. Let's sue him in federal court. I can't wait to stand over your shoulder and what you write is a check. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd invent a Facebook. Is there anything that you need to tell me? Your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on. We have been working on. Do you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Mark! This is our time. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges, I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? All right, The Social Network, starring Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, Army Hammer, Army Hammer, and Josh Pence, Max Minghella, Brenda Song, Rashida Jones, Rooney Mara, based on the book The Accidental Billionaires by Ben Mesrick, written by Drink Aaron Sorkin, scored by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and directed by David Fincher, also possibly produced by Kevin Spacey. Drink. I think the possibility is that his name came up on screen when I watched it. It's like, holy shit, Kevin Spacey executive produced this? Wow. Yeah, I, I thought I, I forgot about that, and I thought the problem was we were going to be talking about an actual human cannibal, and instead it's like, oh, no, no, we have two problems. Like we do always. Uh, when was, uh, We asked the question, when was the first time you saw this movie? Uh, Sammy? So that's a good question, and like so many good questions... I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. You think, it's, can't... you think it's funny, but you don't see what I do all day at work. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... So, but let's recap uh, unanswerable questions. When did Sammy see movies? Why didn't John start recording the first time? <laughs> yeah. These questions that we will never, ever have an answer for. This is very wondering. true. Yeah. In case you're wondering, audience. But we would like we an answer for them. For 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I'm fairly confident. This movie came out when I was a senior in high school, maybe a freshman in college. Jesus. Depending off the time of year. And I, I probably saw it in theaters. Okay. Joseph? I know I saw it in theaters. We clarified that it wasn't with you. Because usually I watch a lot of movies with you in theaters. Yeah, and sometimes, and sometimes that's uh, a ru- case of Russian roulette. <laughs> True. Uh, and there are times I'm like, uh, who did I watch that movie with? You watched it with me. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I well, there, that. Well, there was a period of time that there were so many people that, I, you know, I was dragging to a movie. It was either you, um, one of our friends, 
and one of and one person that uh, we both know and don't speak to anymore. <laughs> See, he says John. <laughs> it's a, like a <laughs> it's like a very um, cheap trip to the casino. You never know what you're gonna get. You sometimes you go and. I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you go and you get Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sometimes you go and you get a cure for wellness. You just never really know. So, um... Next week's episode is Cure for Wellness. I'm just playing. No, no, no. no. We're saving that for when Brianna can come on the show. <laughs> so that way there is a recording of her yelling at me. Uh, <laughs> no, um, funny you mentioned Cure for Wellness. Uh, I was looking through my Facebook memories today and uh this time the year that movie came out uh i was ranking you know my favorite films and my least favorite films throughout the year and i think it was just based on here are the movies i've seen and it was the 14th best movie of of that year (laughs) which says more and also baywatch was higher which says more about that year at the theater than it does, you know, that actual list. It didn't make the final cut, and I know, and I just feel the silence from Sam, Sammy's end of the call. Just like this, that movie was the 14th best anything. True story. Yeah. Also, I did not know the movie was going to be like that. I just said, "Hey, the guy who made The Ring and the Good Pirates of the Caribbean movie." Made a new horror movie. Who wants to go? And you all said yes. And it's still somehow my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you made me watch Burlesque, and I declared that none of y'all were ever allowed to mention that movie again. And we declared that Burlesque was not a bad enough movie to warrant that. No, 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 we didn't. <laughs> Look, John, just because... <laughs> You don't have taste. And you think things like Sleepaway Camp are better than Burlesque. That's not my fault. Uh, so now we are taking applications for new co-hosts. Um, and in uh, and upcoming news, no one has applied. <laughs> you know, you can stop being mad at me now. <laughs> I didn't want to start with this episode over either. So. <laughs> Apparently I'm in a mood tonight. <laughs> Apparently so. It's like this is your movie and you're yelling at me. <laughs> we so all had a long week. We've all had a long week. Uh, <laughs> Sammy. So the movie. So like I said, um, this movie is based on the book The Accidental Billionaires by Ben Mesrick. Uh Mesrick is uh, known primarily as an author. He writes mostly nonfiction. And he's had actually two of his books that I can confirm uh, made into movies. I, if he's had any more, I don't know because they keep t- changing the titles <laughs> to some, something different. Uh, the other book being Bringing Down the House, the inside story of six MIT students who took Vegas for Millions, which was turned into uh, the Kevin Spacey vehicle. 21, which I, I th- from my understanding, he's barely in the movie too, but he's on the poster. Um, no, he's in the movie a fair amount, but uh, I just I can't hold it against that movie. And if you haven't, I, I'm take from that that you haven't seen it, 
um, we should cover it in one of our mainly movies of the month because it's it's a good movie. I, I mean, I didn't see it whenever it first came out. I, well, I haven't seen it at all. Um, to me, I just, I just saw the trailer. I'm like, something about it doesn't excite me. I mean, I'm willing to sit through it, but I, but you know, let's see. This is we we covered Spacey a lot, and I, I hesitate to jump in and do do a movie where he's the star. But we'll see. I mean, when they're when they're your picks, I really can't I really can't say anything. This is true. Yeah, and when and when Joseph. Uh, picks a cure for wellness. You can't yell at me. Oh no, I've got other things to pick. <laughs> so when Joseph picks uh, um, a cure for wellness after an unrelated fifty dollar bribe, <laughs> you can't <laughs> yell at me. Okay, well then I'll pick it then. <laughs> John's about to get fired from his own podcast. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it, John. But before you do, slide me the fifty dollars. <laughs> All right, it's going to be coming in uh, unmarked, non-consecutive singles. I'm okay. I don't care. I just well, before to... you do, I suppose we better talk about the movie because you know we did watch it. Yes, we did. All right. We so for the so um oh wait, Joseph, did we answer the question about who saw it and when? Yes. Okay. Um. Oh wait, I don't think I answered it. I, I saw it opening weekend, not opening night, but like the next day. So. Okay. Moving forward. So, uh, this is a movie that I definitely knew I was seeing on day one, uh, or, you know, or as close to day one as possible, because you've got a hat trick of things that John loves. You, because um, this movie is written by Aaron Sorkin, which, you know, listeners go ahead and just start drinking like, <laughs> and never stop, because we're going to be talking Sorkin a lot. Or at least we say we're going to talk Sorkin a lot, and then, you know, take five to ten minutes and talk about other shit. <laughs> um, and then, then Justin Timberlake enters the chat. Yeah. But written by Sorkin, directed by David Fincher, who is one of my favorite directors, and a director that I I would maintain, while his films do vary in levels of how much I enjoy them, I would maintain he's a filmmaker that has not made a bad film in his entire career. He's, he's made some that are more entertaining than others, but none of them are bad. And then they hired one of my favorite musicians to do the score, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who um, Trent is Nine Inch Nails, and Atticus is also now officially part of Nine Inch Nails, but Nine Inch Nails was always just Trent and the musicians who he was playing with at the time. So, But this turned the man who said it will be written on his tombstone that he screamed the words fist fuck and got a Grammy into an Oscar winner. He's on his way to an EGOT. I think he, I know he needs an Emmy and a Tony. So, but he's got one, he's got at least one Grammy and uh, now two Oscars. Cause he just, <laughs> the guy who, who wrote, I want to fuck you like an animal just took away an Oscar this year for scoring a, a Pixar movie. So this timeline's weird, but amazing. So I'm going to ask another question because uh, I think it's relevant. So when did you guys join Facebook or the Facebook? I want to say it was like 2006 or seven. I can't remember. Yeah. I was around 2009 and I went into it kicking and screaming because I was 
all about MySpace because MySpace taught you how to be a programmer, sort of, and also overload your friend's uh, internet browser because you picked the flashiest background humanly possible. <laughs> and it, as it was loading, you heard uh, Survivalism by Nine Inch Nails like three times before the page finally loaded, and they yelled at you. Oh, wait. I know, I know what year it was. It was 2008 because I remember I kind of got on the MySpace bandwagon mm. for like two months and my background was like the Joker from The Dark Knight. <laughs> and, and shortly after that, I, I made a Facebook account. Gotcha. So it was 2008. 2008? Yeah. All right. Sammy, do you remember? So... According to Facebook, I joined in August of 2007. So, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess I would have been a freshman in high school. And I'd done the MySpace thing like everybody else when I was in middle school. But I, the, I remember the funny thing that I like about this movie is it being on college campuses because my older brother was in college. When this came, when Facebook became a thing, and I remember him joining because I can't remember if it was because my cousin was already joined. If that's how I found out about it, but um, I remember him joining at a time when it was still only for college students. Wow. Yeah, I, I and another reason I kind of went into it kicking and screaming is because everyone talked about how it was all about pictures. You could put pictures up on there. And the last thing I want in this world is my picture taken. And after that, it's put up on social media. So, I mean, I'm getting better about that, but I'm still not a huge fan. You know what I didn't like about it is where was hmm. Tom? You know, I miss Tom. Tom was always your friend. Tom was always your, always your friend, but he, he, he sold it for his, his millions, and he's on an island somewhere, and he's just watching the world burn. <laughs> We took Tom for granted. We did. That's where we went wrong. To my knowledge, I don't think Tom ever spied on you. Well, he could have. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Tom was friends with everybody, though. Yeah, he was your first friend. Whether you wanted him or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what? No one has ever said, oh, man, I can't post on MySpace, you know, for 24 hours. I got Tommed. <laughs> <laughs> I went on a rant about white people and got banned. Meanwhile, my <laughs> uncle literally said the N-word three times and his post is still up. <laughs> so anyway, the movie's based on uh, accidental billionaires. And um, at the time the book was being written, the book was also being shopped around to the different studios. And it uh, inevitably ended up at Sony and Amy Toblin went and found Aaron Sor Sorkin and poked him with a stick and said you should take a look at this. And Sorkin did. And Sorkin is kind of, you know, your classic older guy who's not really into technology. But so that wasn't his angle. He didn't want, you know, to write the Facebook movie about, you know, two people falling in love about Facebook. But he read the story of how these friends became partners and then basically just sued each other into oblivion. That was the story that interested Sorkin. So that's what got him on board. And then Sorkin does the Sorkin thing and writes the script. And uh, when David Fincher is brought on board, 
Fincher uh, loves long takes. He loves long movies, and he can get away with it. He had, uh, we're going to cover Zodiac at some point, and uh, he told the writer of that movie, don't be afraid to turn in a 300-page draft. Uh, when Sorkin and Fincher were working together, they took the opening scene of this movie, and Fincher told him, read it at the pace you wrote it in your head. And Fincher timed it, and it ended up being... Uh, either like just a little over eight minutes or just a little over nine minutes. And that set this, and they did that with every scene and that set the pace of this movie. And basically every take, they had to make sure they got everything right and hit the time that Aaron and David hit in the uh, pre-production. So when you look at that opening scene of, uh, Jesse Eisenberg as Mark and Rooney Mara as Re- uh, Rebecca Albright. They're having to, they did that like, no joke, not an exaggeration, about 99 times before they finally got what, you know, David wanted. And unfortunately, that tends to be the case with every movie he makes because he doesn't know what he wants until he sees it. <laughs> You know what, though? That's so worth it. I mean, that dialogue is so good, and it needs to be done at that pace. Yeah. Like, it sort, of, it sort of sets the tone. It gives you a sense of who Mark is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how Sorkin does it, but there's just this way he gets into real people's heads mm-hmm. that kind Stork- of captures who they are. Yeah. Well, Sorkin loves the behind-the-scenes fill-in-the-blank. I mean... Let's look at his career behind the scenes of a sports uh, network, behind the scenes of a White House, behind the scenes of a, a Saturday Night Live type variety show, behind the scenes of cable news network, behind the scenes of what made Steve Jobs great. And here we have behind the scenes of how Facebook became what it became, but also the backstory behind that. So that's kind of his, you know niche and you know speaking of the 99 takes a lot of that has to do with the fact that Aaron Sork and uh, not Aaron Sork uh, David Fincher got so incredibly royally and unromantically fucked by the studio on his first movie that the second he was able to take the an ounce of control he took all of it he took his control other people's control control from people on sets that weren't his so that's why he is the way he is because he will talk about any movie he's made all day long except for alien 3 because he's still a little sore (laughs) and also when you watch if you ever uh compare like i'm one of the alien 3 defenders but if you watch the theatrical cut and the assembly cut which is kind of a rough unfinished version there is no comparison between the two this assembly cut is was clearly the better movie even though yes he still killed newt and michael bean and bishop and did what he did like i understand that but he he was not interested in making a sequel to aliens he was making a meditation on death (laughs) And then he and then he reinvented the serial killer uh, genre with seven, and then kind of put a cap on it. We thought with Zodiac, and then put another cap on it with Mindhunter. 
So, <laughs> so you know, the one, one of the things I noticed about this film is, and I don't, I noticed this with a lot of Sorkin's films, and I'm sure you could see the same thing in, in a lot of Fincher's movies, is just no matter how many times you watch it, there's still things that you never saw the last time you watched it. Mm-hmm. And the one that stuck out to me on this is the name of his blog. Did y'all see the name of his blog? No. When he started blogging about, oh my God, it's called Zuck on it. <laughs> I did not know. Of course it is. <laughs> and I just thought that was, I mean, honestly, that has to be true. Yeah, uh, well, um, between the high-priced Sony lawyers uh, and the, and I'm kind of quoting Sorkin on this, the absolute terror of uh, t- writing about people that could sneak into his computer and plant child pornography was a very real concern. <laughs> <laughs> so Sorkin was like, do no damage. <laughs> Yeah, it was the one thing I noticed. I don't know why I happened to look at it, but when he was blogging, mm. I looked at the name, and it was Zuck on it. Mm. Um, no, that's... I need a bigger TV. <laughs> underrated scene, and that's what I love about this movie, is that there's not a bad scene in this film. And I love that scene for what it does, because it completely highlights how much research Sorkin has to do for any one of his scripts because that's the scene where Mark is blogging and drunk and putting together the first not real version of the Facebook but kind of putting together face uh, mash um, he, the stuff he's saying makes absolutely no sense but it sounds brilliant yeah well those two scenes back to back are just so perfect because you set up in that first scene that your main character, you're not probably going to like from beginning to end. And I don't think he has a redemptive arc in this movie. And that might be because I'm viewing this in a 2021 lens where we know these people are not the best people on the planet. (laughs) No, I I never found him very redemptive at all. They, they try to shed a light on him a little bit, but it's just like, no, he's an asshole. Yeah. He just and not, he doesn't feel bad about it either. Yeah, but in that scene, you get his attitude on women. You get his uh, attitude basically on the world, where he thinks he is better than everyone, and to a degree, in a very small little corner of the world, he is. I mean, I I think he's probably one of the best coders, or. Like he he knew he's like this this subtle he's just like this genius but you know some geniuses are nice and some geniuses are you know royal assholes and he very much falls into the latter. So this is my first question: how actor how accurate do you think this movie was? I mean, honestly, like how. How much of this do you think? Obviously, the lawsuits are going to be accurate, but apart from that, um, apart from that, I think well, obviously, you know, it being a Hollywood film, there's you're going to have dramatization, and because the real story was probably a whole lot more boring. Oh yeah, you know it because. 
because unfortunately for us, reality never is like an Aaron Sorkin <laughs> screenplay. There are moments where we don't speak in eloquent, you know, monologues and these great literary references that tie into the theme of what's happening in our life. It's just, you know, <laughs> sometimes, you know, we speak monosyllabically and <laughs> trying to get our point across. It's too bad we couldn't have all just hired Aaron Sorkin to write life. Right? <laughs> well, see, and I, it's probably, it's not going to be completely 100% accurate, of course. There's, no. there's going to be changes. There's going to be things tweaked, you know, to make the story flow better. But I, just based off of how, what we know about these people nowadays, I think you got the characterizations of them all pretty spot on. Yeah. And then there is uh, large chunks of this uh, taken from, you know, court documents. So, yeah, the part where he sa- he tells uh, one of the lawyers that he uh, do I uh, do I deserve your attention? He's like, he said, I'm under oath. So, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was from the court transcript. <laughs> you have some of my attention. You don't deserve all of it. <laughs> yeah. You have the minimal amount of my attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, well, that's a. Well, you know, that was a pretty badass way of going about it, but but I'm sure it's more badass in the movie than it actually was in real life. Yeah. (laughs) I realize what this movie is. It's the story of a supervillain that never really gets, you know, (laughs) never truly becomes a supervillain. He's just like, you know, he he didn't fall into the vat of radioactive waste to become, you know, his true form. Or annoying person that you just wish would not exist much anymore. (laughs) Well, you know, what he does with this film is it's kind of brilliant. And I think that what makes it so appealing is he starts off as this kind of person that you hate. It's I think it is put perfectly in the first scene where she was telling him that he was going to go through his life thinking that women didn't like him because he was a nerd. But the reason women didn't like him is because he was an asshole. Yeah. I think that sets it up perfectly. I think he's so naive to his behavior. And what's brilliant is his character arc. Because by the end of the film, he's so taken advantage of that you almost feel bad for him. Yeah. I mean, he's also a billionaire, so you don't feel that bad for him. But... (laughs) (laughs) But those situations. Yeah. I I feel like, you know, if the... uh, the 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 left truly got their wish and we ate the rich uh he would probably be first on the block <laughs> yeah. well, I, either him or jeff bezos yeah that's true <laughs> well let me put well i'm not i'm not here to defend bezos but uh one of those two men gave us two free day free two day shipping and the other one didn't so <laughs> good point yeah, Be- Bezos has a week to run. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to charge you fourteen ninety nine for the privilege. <laughs> yep. In <laughs> <laughs> no sense. Nope. But it was funny. <laughs> yeah, but there was, there was like, I don't know why, there was just, these random little things I was picking up that I didn't notice before. So there, there was actually something that wasn't a mistake, but I noticed is something that they did that was weird 
that very easily could have been fixed. And I'm surprised it was overlooked in an Aaron Sorkin script. But when Mark finally does create the, uh, when Mark finally does create the Facebook and he's ready to send it out and he asks Eduardo for the emails, you know, he asked for the emails plural, plural, and you're assuming there's a bunch of guys in this group and Eduardo gives him one email. Yeah. And that's it. And then he was like, okay, why don't we just go out and celebrate and get some beers? And I was like, where are the rest of the emails? Well, you literally just sent it to one person and said, we're live. Yeah. But the other option is he sits there for 15 minutes, like the end of uh, the trial of Chicago seven. And instead of naming the names of fallen soldiers, (laughs) he's lifting, he's lifting off donkey fart 17 at yahoo.com. Okay. You got him. Well, I mean, you could have at least done three or four. I just think that it would have made more sense and would have been less noticeable. (laughs) I don't even think that's the most noticeable flaw in this film, but we'll go. We'll get to it later. Do we now talk about the cannibal? (laughs) No, wait, wait, no. Actually, I want to talk about uh, Eduardo, who I think is the the tragic hero of this movie because he does nothing wrong except for believe in his friend and does nothing but get fucked over. And also this was my first exposure to Andrew Garfield. So I like so many other people were surprised to find out he is British as fuck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's great in this movie. I forgot. Mm -hmm. how. It's so strange because it's not that the stuff he's done after this has been bad because it it hasn't necessarily. But um, this is by far and away, I think, his best performance. I remember this was the first time I ever saw him in anything either. And it was so good. Yeah. Okay. so I'm going to invoke the holy name of the man who trumps every person in the creative team of this movie, Martin Scorsese. Uh, Scorsese made... uh, a film called Silence, which stars Garfield and Liam Neeson and Andrew and um, Adam Kylo Ren, Adam Driver, and it's about two priests uh, in the 16th century traveling to Japan to find their mentor. It is a difficult watch. It's a brutal watch, but the way that movie end ended, it was perfect because. Uh, Scorsese is obviously more more than just you know gangsters from New York or boss because uh, 16th century Japan Japan was not real uh, open and inviting to Christians. <laughs> just, just putting that out there. In <laughs> that one time, uh, he loves to tell films about faith, and this is probably one of the best films I've ever seen about faith. Even though, <laughs> in its two and a half hour running time, about two hours and eighteen minutes of it are kind of kind of uh not pleasant but i'm still trying to process where you barraged the name of aaron sorkin by alluding that martin scorsese is better um aaron sorkin would say martin scorsese is better okay well aaron sorkin is entitled to be wrong every once in a while about himself (laughs) listen (laughs) there are names we don't blaspheme in this house and sorkin is one of them but martin scorsese is he upon high so (laughs) <laughs> I, I understand having that opinion if the only thing you saw was the color of money. <laughs> so, yeah, I 
I recognize that there's probably other stuff out there that Andrew Garfield has done that I haven't seen. Yeah. I was just so, it was so, I'm trying to find the words. I was so excited mm. to see the other things that he did after seeing this film. Yeah, and unfortunately. Not, not was... only <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah, I was going to say, it's <laughs> like two not so great, but not terrible Spider-Man movies. Although mm. I am a defender of those movies. I, I enjoy those. Yes, and my girl Emma Stone, who is confused and doesn't know, you know, that. I exist is <laughs> in those movies as well. <laughs> it wasn't just I. I don't think how good he was in this film, but I think he was one of my personal favorite parts of this film, just because he was such an he was such a nice contrast to Justin Timberlake's character. Yeah, which we'll we'll get to Timberlake soon because in between him we got to talk about the Winklevi. So was this uh, the world's first exposure to? Uh, Army Hammer. I don't know if what if he did anything really of note before this. It probably was. He may have done something before this, but I think this would be the thing he would have been most well known for. Yeah, and it too kind of set. Time. Yeah, and it too kind of set the tone for his career, because you know, on some level, playing these two rich, smug uh, assholes. Because even though they do kind of get fucked over, they are also assholes. Yeah. The, Winkle, the Winklevi are not great people. I had one of my favorite jokes with them from uh, the Zuckerberg's character. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, they introduce themselves. He goes, are you two related? And you're like, ha yeah, Never got that before. <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? But what their characters bring to the table and... It's, you know, it's a true story, so obviously you have to put them in there. Is, okay, so, it's my second question. In your personal, in both of y'all's personal opinions, do you think Mark stole the idea? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, but here's the thing. Ideas are fluid. Uh, because um, going back to another Fincher film, Zodiac. James Vanderbilt, and I think I've told this story before, but it bears repeating because it's my defense for what I'm saying. Uh, James Vanderbilt, whenever he graduated film school, he did the thing that all people do is he, uh, he had his uh, first screenplay sold two days before he graduated because that always happens. Uh, but that particular script, which is still remains un- uh, unfilmed to this day, was a romantic comedy in which a small town in Mississippi... Uh, Tourism dried up because of the interstate, and in order to get that tourism back, the town decided to secede from the United States. And when that script sold, it beat out six other secession comedies. I don't, because Mark in the film even calls it out. It's like it's match.com for college students. So I, you know, I agree and disagree. Do I think that he, more than just took the inspiration from them yeah kind of I mean they had this idea and like they pointed out I mean I think it makes sense right like he he could have worked with them on this he could have gotten the money from them but Eduardo was his best friend so that's who he wanted to work with but I also as with so many other things in life um feel that Aaron Sorkin gives us the answer (laughs) and I agree with Mark when he says that he doesn't, you know, a guy who builds a great chair doesn't owe money to every other guy who ever made a chair. He, they had an idea. He just had a better one. Yeah. Um, 
I actually uh, have another defense of that. Um, Carlos Mencia was one of the biggest comedians on the planet. And once upon a time, back when we liked Joe Rogan, he <laughs> called he called out Carlos Mencia on stage at the comedy store for stealing material. And he had receipts. And years later on um, WTF with Mark Marin, Mark had Carlos on, and Carlos has always denied that he stole the material. But like his very next episode, it was a comic who knew uh, Carlos and had seen what Carlos does. And Carlos didn't know he was stealing. Carlos could hear someone's act and then go up and do, do that exact same act and kill with it like it was his own material unconsciously. So m- there could be a little bit of that going on as well. That sounds right. Awesome. And I, I think that Mark did have it in perspective. Like they, yes, they came up with an idea, but let's, let's be honest. How much different was what they were coming up with and what Mark ended up coming up with from MySpace and Friendster. And maybe he did sue them. I don't know. But I haven't seen Mark going around suing Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and well, no. TikTok. He didn't, he didn't sue them. They sued him. Well, yeah. But, I mean, and if you put Instagram and Twitter together, guess what they are? They're Facebook. Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And yeah. Mark just did the smart thing. He just bought Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and we're gonna become a problem yeah. so yeah i i mean sort of did he steal the idea yes but also no right and we are also talking about uh two incredibly rich guys so it is hard to be- feel bad for them but here's where i pay army hammer the first compliment he playing those two those two brothers even though one of them physically is another human being he he made them, for the most part, pretty sympathetic. I mean, he really did. The only time I didn't is in what I think is one of the best scenes is where they go visit the president of Harvard, mm-hmm. who has absolutely <laughs> no sympathy. Oh, yeah. Right. He was like, yeah, I don't have time for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun fact, the guy that played, uh, played him... Uh, is a real life uh, conservative uh, talk radio host and who Aaron Sorkin, he's like, even though we disagree agree with each other vehemently on almost everything, he, he loved that, you know, that was the personality he wanted for that particular character. Not so fun fact. He's the father-in-law of the late Andrew Breitbart. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, 20, 2011 Aaron Sorkin, who was recording a DVD commentary about the movie, was paying the man great compliments. <laughs> I, I yeah. would love to get 2021 Aaron Sorkin to talk about him. But this, I mean, honestly, that, in a weird way, it's what makes this movie so good. This is a movie that is, it's full of anti-heroes. Um, um, now, I hesitate your... to call any of them anti-heroes because... I wouldn't necessarily call anyone in this movie except for Eduardo remotely heroic. I think this is just a movie about very complicated individuals. Right. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Maybe a better word is they're all sort of antagonists 
despite being the main characters in the story, right. and none of them are partic- none of them are particularly sympathetic apart no. from Eduardo. Yeah, Eduardo is the one that just does royally get fucked. But I'm swearing a lot tonight. But um, you know, but it's because he believed in his friend, and for the longest time, his friend believed in him. But then this little uh, devil. Um, Sashayed sexy back on his shoulder and said, No, no, <laughs> get in your ear. And <laughs> so it's time to talk about the man who turned Lars Ulrich into a supervillain, Sean Parker. <laughs> okay, so he's the. Which okay. else take on? Which else take on this? He's the he's the character in this in the movie that I. And most unsure about the accuracy of how his character is portrayed. Yeah, I, d- I don't know enough about the real Sean Parker to make any kind of call. I will, I will just say this. This is the movie because the first time I watched Southland Tales, I didn't really connect with it. So this is the movie where I finally paid, stood up and paid attention to Justin Timberlake and went, okay, I get it now. Because back then I wasn't an NSYNC fan. Now, you know, through the lens of nostalgia and just being an old crusty, you know, cranky man, um, I appreciate NSYNC now. Not every song, but, you know, maybe half of a greatest hits collection. I, I, I prefer JT's solo stuff. You know, um, I grew up being a massive NSYNC fan. I was always an NSYNC over Backstreet Boys fan. And of mm-hmm. course, Justin Timberlake was one of my first loves, and yeah. I still have not get, gotten over the fact that he married Jessica Biel because I can't stand her. But you and I may you and I may agree on that one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> since he started acting way back in like the Disney days when he did the when he did model behavior, um, I have always been of the opinion that acting is the best. Well, he's a triple threat. Acting is the best thing Justin Timberlake does. Agreed. He's a, he's a he's a very talented dancer. He's a good singer, but I'm not a massive fan of his music. And um, see, and you see, I actually am, and I'm I'm going to get some. We're finally going to get some angry emails on this, but I think his low key masterpiece was the 2020 experience, and I will die on that hill. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, because suit because suit and tie is the shit. <laughs> But I think it comes out in this this movie in like little moments, little things he chooses to do with with his character. Mm-hmm. I think he is a wholly underrated actor. I agree. the The scene where we meet Sean, where he's in the girl's apartment, and you think it's the typical "Oh, I got drunk, slept with this girl, and I don't know anything about her," and he knows everything about her. That was a that was a really that good. was a great scene, that and great. also. But the young Dakota Johnson. I had to look it up. I was like, is that Dakota Johnson? I was like, holy yeah. shit. Anastasia Steele in the college years. Oh, my God, it was. Mm-hmm. It, really good in that her small I didn't part. recognize mm. her at all. Yeah. Honestly, the first time I watched it, I was like, is that Allison Brie? Did I not know Allison Brie was in this? I'm like, oh, no, this is, this is Dakota Johnson. Didn't recognize her with her clothes on. <laughs> she was in her underwear. <laughs> But she was really good in this, and I think she's an underrated actress, actually. I, I do, too. I think she, uh, I think the Fifty Shades movies really hurt her career. 
more than she thought it was going to be. You know, I don't think that they did because I actually think that, you know, so many of these these books that people got obsessed with that turned into movies, one or more of the characters, they just do a terrible job with. I think that Hunger Games is one of the only exceptions to that rule and Mm. Divergent sort of. But I think she did a really good job. Like, it's not a good movie. They're not good books. But you can't complain about her performance. No, I agree. And uh, she did a movie called uh, How to Be Single, which is not a great movie. But I enjoyed watching it. Well, and she was also great in Black Mass. That was... I forget about Black Mass. Uh, You know, the one time... Yeah, like the one time Johnny Depp's under a shitload of makeup and actually remembering he's an actor. Because, <laughs> Jesus, that, that scene in which, uh, you know, at that, they're at that dinner table, which is totally just a ripoff of the How Am I Funny scene from Goodfellas. Depp was, like, terrifying in that scene. He, he was terrifying through the whole movie. Yeah, well, well that character is kind of a terrifying human being very true yeah so okay when david fincher and aaron sorkin made this movie Mm -hmm. do you think they had any idea all of the complications that were connected to the story they were telling not just the people they were telling it about but the actors that chose to be in it and the stories that got told as part of this movie because Mark Zuckerberg has got, got his own complicated reputation. And then, obviously, you have what's going on with Army Hammer right now. But the story, Justin Timber, the, the story Sean Parker tells Mark Zuckerberg we're in the, when they're in that club together. Do y'all remember the story? Um, I should, considering I did watch this movie three times this week, but... It it was a long week, so. Are you talking about the story about what the the girl that dumped him and everything? Sort of. Yeah. So, um, I've always remembered the story, and I went in to look to see if it was true. And there's even more of a connection to the story. So, to prove a point, Sean Parker tells Mark that um, there was this guy who. He was trying to search for some laundry for his wife, and he got felt so uncomfortable. He wanted to create a brand and a store where men could go and buy laundry for their wives without feeling uncomfortable. So he came up with the brand Victoria's Secret, and he sold made like five hundred thousand dollars his first year, and then worked on it for a while longer, and so ended up selling it for five million dollars to um, Lex Les Wexner and the Limited, which is true. Les Wexner bought Victoria's Secret, and this is a true story. And if you and then. It became worth like uh, I can't remember what he said five billion dollars or something like that or five hundred million. I think it became worth five hundred million. And Roy Raymond jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. All of this is a true story. He's famous mm-hmm. for it. But the part of the story most people don't know about that you find out if you watch a documentary about Jeffrey Epstein is Les Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein work together. In fact, Jeffrey Epstein used to do things with, like, make investments for Les Wexner and dealt with a lot of his finances. Well, and please do not take anything that is about to come out of my mouth as any kind of remote defense of Jeffrey Epstein. But 
Epstein did know a lot of rich people because that's that, that was his client base. I mean, he was an investor for them. So when everyone's like they have ties, it's like of course they do because they probably he probably handled their money. So this is true. Now <laughs> the documentary suggests that their connection. Now, not that Les Wexner was ever accused of anything because he wasn't. I don't think there's any evidence he was ever on the island or anything like that. But yeah. his connection with Jeffrey Epstein was a little bit more than some of the other people that Epstein came into contact with. More, it... more of the fact that the suggestion was that Epstein actually embezzled a lot of money from Les Wexner. Oh, okay, that guy, that guy. Okay, I, I did watch that part of the documentary, and then I realized... I don't really want to uh, devote any more of my evening to a pedophile that uh, <laughs> did not did, did not kill himself. <laughs> Which begs the question: Why Les Wexner never pressed charges? But you know, that's all. You know, it's also like you know, there's a band out there called Less uh, Lost Profits. Um, their lead singer is um, no, I would say he's scum of the earth, but that is a um, that's an insult to scum of the earth. But it's kind of like, you know, these five other guys that were in the band with him, it's like, how, how did they not know that he was like a pedophile that tried to rape infants? Yeah, there is just a lot of um, complicated stories sort of embraced in this film. But what I found to be interesting about it is who knows if Sean Parker and Mark Mark Zuckerberg ever had that conversation but of course Sorkin had to take something real some yeah. real life anecdote and throw it into the film just to make yeah. sure one of his characters could make his point yeah no I, I'm going to sit there and say Sean Parker and Mark Zuckerberg never had that conversation they had a thousand <laughs> conversations but this is Aaron Sorkin trying to bring home a theme so that's when the, dr the dr dramatist in him <laughs> takes over because um like christopher mccrory was saying whenever um they they were writing uh he was writing valkyrie with uh the guy he was co-writing it with he the other guy would turn in a very dry very historically accurate uh script and then uh chris would rewrite it and to make it more entertaining and he would hand it back and he they would say you know, you've mutilated history, and Macquarie would be like, "Well, that's not my problem. Fix it." And so they kept swinging back and forth between getting it as historically accurate as possible, but also entertaining because real life is sometimes boring as shit. Not just sometimes, most of the time. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't really talked about one character, but is sort of the catalyst for all of this happening and that's erica albright who i referred to as rebecca at the beginning of the uh <laughs> of the episode no one corrected me you know i don't know anything about her personally so we're just gonna have to go off of rooney mara <laughs> but um well bef besides what, what was besides for eduardo she's the other one i really thought was like another person that got shit on through the whole movie the time she was in it and she had a really good scene to come back at him, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than the blog post, you know, she largely disappears from the movie until that, you know, that scene. And it's just just proving her point. Like, 
oh, you're successful now and you're you've got money now and I don't give a shit because you're still an asshole. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you gotta love the irony at the end of the film when he goes to look her up on Facebook, the fact that she's on Facebook. Well, um, I think even Sorkin pointed out in the commentary, like by now, even the Winklevoss twins were on Facebook. It became a phenomenon that you that you know everyone and their grandmother is now on Facebook. True. It got well, so big that you couldn't escape it like Amazon. And you know, I know a lot of people are leaving Facebook now, but I mean it's still massive. I mean I think I, it still has the most amount of users of any social media. Yeah. Like honestly, I go from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. And by the time I get done with Instagram, I'm back on Facebook to see if anything new has popped up. And this is going to sound terrible, but that is how I kind of keep up with what's going on in the world. I know Facebook is not a news source, but that's where I keep up with what's going on in the world of entertainment. What, you know, what particular country is on fire today? And you, you, know. you follow certain news sources, not just any news source on Facebook. Well, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of like the trending topics on Twitter, which is one thing that I do think Twitter does a lot better than Facebook, is you have those trending topics to where you, where at least one of the ten is something serious, and the other nine is a whole bunch of bullshit that I have to investigate what the fuck it's talking about. <laughs> you invest- called clickbait, John. <laughs> no, it's like today something Kendrick was trending, and I don't know what the original Kendrick was, but by the time I got to it, it's a whole bunch of people just saying, shit, we thought Kendrick Lamar was dropping a new album. <laughs> <laughs> we knew about Damn a month before it came out. We, it's not like he does anything in secret. That is, that is also the kind of, that's also the kind of brilliance of this movie, because as you're sitting watching it, it either happens during a portion in the movie that you become distracted and then you figure out you're scrolling through Facebook while watching a movie about how Facebook was invented yeah. and, or the movie get the movie's over and you're halfway through your newsfeed on Facebook before you realize, oh shit. Yep. Well, can we talk about how this movie is, you know, just a little over two hours it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't Mm-mm. feel like it, and it uh, and it, it's like once you get to a certain point in the movie, you're like, "Holy shit!" Is like every time I had this on um, at home this week, I was just like, "Shit, this thing is almost over," and because um, it's to see how much time I had left, and I was like, "Holy shit, this only movie only has ten minutes left." It feels mm-hmm. like it still has like another act to go. I know it's like about the time he asks. And Perkins, if she wants to go to lunch, <laughs> that or or dinner or whatever, you're like, oh my god, this this movie is just about to end. <laughs> and Rashida Jones was good in it for the little bit she's in too. Mm-hmm. Oh, but the, her line where she's like, "You're not really an asshole. You just trying so hard to be." And I'm just sitting there thinking, "Nah, he's an asshole." <laughs> yeah, but at the time, but at the time this movie was written, and at the time this movie came out. That was the perfect button because we didn't know what we know now. But now we know. It's like, no, he's, he's an asshole. Even in the movie, he didn't have any redeeming scenes of, to him at all. He was a complete dick the whole time. Yeah. Well, that's not entirely true. Oh. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to fully defend him. He, he definitely was. But I do think that 
I guess I should put it this way. I think that the movie starts off coming off like he doesn't care about Eduardo. Like, Eduardo's the only one not using him, clearly. Mm-hmm. And you start to wonder how, how in the world these two guys became friends in the first place. But by the end of the movie, I don't know, you just come to the conclusion, this is a guy that is alone. He's alienated yeah. all of his friends. And yeah, it's his fault. But he, And he also got massively used. He just got led astray by somebody who didn't have his best interest in mind yeah and i can actually stick up for mark at one point because in the scene where um they they're getting ready to where sean has convinced mark to basically push eduardo completely out of the company after um eduardo delivers one of the best uh one of the best fuck yous and basically tells him like i'm not coming back for uh, 30% I'm coming back for everything after he delivers that that speech and you're like, hell yeah, I'm Eduardo. That is the best scene in the whole movie in my yes. opinion. Yes. Mark tries to reason with Sean a little bit. It's not great, but it's just like you were you were too hard on it. And it was basically like, call and apologize or something. You know, to that effect, like, you can see that Mark still you know, cares about Eduardo, even though he's doing something incredibly shitty to him. Well, and it's I think it's the first time that he he was so like starstruck by Sean. I think it was the mm-hmm. first time that he real started to realize that what Eduardo was saying about Sean was true. Which by the way, hold on, can we touch on that for a second? One of the questions I had about this movie is Sean is broke, right? He makes that mm-hmm. point with her when he sleeps with her. He's like, well there, you know, I'm broke. There's not a lot of money in Free music. Um, yeah, well, because the man uh, destroyed the recording industry as we know it. I mean, there's because bands when a band drops an album on with a rare, rare, rare exception, no musician makes money on their music unless you're you know giving them money on Bandcamp. You know, they're the only ones that are seeing anything out of that. So that's why everything is about touring and ticket sales. Sean caused that because before Napster, if you wanted to hear a song, you had to drop fourteen ninety nine for a CD, or nine ninety nine if it was uh, you know uh, an album on Fat Records. But just you know, they know the punks are broke. So well, so, but here's my question. So he makes that pretty clear. How is he affording all this stuff? Well, they kind of look at it like he's a con artist. Yeah, because in the movie, I get the sense that that. I don't know if this is how the actual guy is just by what the movie is portrayed. He is a con artist looking for his next big play, pretty much next big, his next victim to take advantage of pretty much. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and he went right for it. Right. Or, well, and uh, yeah. And um, I only know this from Twitter, but there is a woman, they got in a shitload of trouble for basically pretending to be an heiress and con people out of money and free stuff left and right. Because a lot of times, you know, a restaurant, someone like Sean Parker comes in and they know who he is, they're getting shit comped. Yeah, that's, that's the only explanation that I can yeah. honestly think of, why he was getting all that free stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're basically a rock star, you know, you can kind of get away with anything. Because, you know, this random college girl that he slept with it's just like I slept with Sean Parker, and you know, he slept on Sean Parker. <laughs> I mean, he was he was you know kind of a household name, depending on 
what your focus was on. Yeah. Are y'all ready to move into our segments? Um, I think we only have one segment this week. <laughs> I, I, I think we have at least two. So, yeah. Yeah, I think now's a good time. Okay, so um, this is a segment we call Best Line, Worst Line. But um, in this case, I think it's just going to be Best Line, Best Line. I, I have a, not necessarily a worst line, but a um, line that could have been better, and I'll explain why. That's the worst. That's the worst that you can do when it comes to an Aaron Sorkin script. True, but I I also understand why my worst line in air quotes is the way it is. So, uh, all right, Joseph, go for it, John. Oh, my best line. If I had to, I mean, obviously, Eduardo's speech is the, you know, uh, the, um, you better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 20 for 30%. I'm coming back for everything, all caps, everything. (laughs) That's a great line. One of my personal favorite, I have two other personal favorites, and they're both delivered by a Winklevi. One of them is, oh, I just, no, don't, they're mine. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. You can say them. All right. I'll take one. I'll take one of them. And and it's I just broke a three hundred and thirty year old doorknob. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Joseph. Joseph? Uh, some of my favorite ones were was Eduardo. One of them were his his girlfriend that was very crazy. Oh, yeah, we didn't really <laughs> talk about her because <laughs> she is a massive part of this movie. It, she is, she but is, but not really. But not really. Yeah, so they don't focus on her a whole lot. But she's like. Uh, when did you get back? He goes, uh, this afternoon. She goes, I sent you 47 text messages. He goes, yes, which I thought this... were all reasonable responses. <laughs> uh... <laughs> and then uh, afterwards, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> yeah. As his and... bed is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And another one of my favorite ones was uh, when they get out of that conference uh, with Bill Gates. Oh, the guy, yeah. The guy was like a... <laughs> He goes, I really believed when he said uh, he was looking at you and he said the next Bill Gates is in this room. He goes, I got in an hour late, so I don't really know who was speaking. He goes, it was Bill Gates. Holy <laughs> shit. That sounds that makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I do like I, I do have a Sean line uh, whenever he uh, is leaving the restaurant and then he turns back and he says, drop the the just Facebook. It's cleaner. Like, and you almost just... know that didn't happen. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, I not not as slick and as smooth as he did it, but I think someone like uh, Sean Parker would say no one said the Napster; they just said Napster. So it's just like that's true. Like Sorkin took what was probably just a you know boring note on (laughs) that Sean gave and made it a great line. Oh, Sean did have another thing that I thought was funny. Whenever he's talking about the one. Their intern that works there, he's trying to get Mark interested in her. Mm-hmm. She's like, is, "Wait, do you have a thing going on with her?" He goes, "Well, no. Well, sort of. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> Sorry, Sandy, it's your turn. Yeah. I don't want to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I have I have two, and they have been my they have been my two favorites since uh, since I saw the movie. And the okay, first and one I'm, is, and I'm holding on to one Winklevi line just in case you don't say it. Okay, my first one is so the Winklevi. We haven't talked about their best friend, uh, Divya Narendra, 
And he delivers one of my favorite lines in the movie when when they first find out about what's happened with Facebook, and they were like, "What? You know? So you wanna you wanna sue him? No, I wanna hire the Sopranos to beat the shit out of him with a yes. hammer." <laughs> That was good. <laughs> he was so violent, but um, uh, he's one of my favorite characters. And then my yeah. other one is a Winklevi line where he says, "We don't have to do that. I'm six five, two hundred fifty, and there's two of me." Yeah. Okay. I can. I can turn. I can turn the page now because I was just like, uh, "She better say it. She better say it." Yeah, that's that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, and I. Th- I there's just so much like it's really hard because like you pointed out with the Bill Gates line, a lot of it is really small stuff that you almost wouldn't notice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you oh. remind me one from that character where he was like, oh, he goes, I'm not going to say he goes, why aren't you going to say it? He goes, because you're going to think it's stupid. Oh, yeah. It's stupid. And he's he, I forgot what he said exactly. Like uh, Harvard. He's like, because we're, we're gentlemen of Harvard. Gentlemen of Harvard. Harvard. Like that. And he's yeah. just, you're, you, you thought he was the only he one that was going to think that's fucking stupid? <laughs> I know. He delivers. I mean, one of my other, yeah. he, do, he does one of my other favorites, too, where he's going through that long list of things he wants. He's like, I want punitive damages. I want adjunctive relief. And I want him dead. <laughs> <laughs> that line was obvious, obviously, oh, Aaron must have watched The Untouchables during, during the writing. <laughs> See? There's so was, many. Oh, I'm sorry. I got one more, too. The... Uh, hold on. It was like the De Niro line in Untouchables. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. I want to piss on the ashes. <laughs> there, uh, there's, so, there's so much gold in this movie. Um, yeah. when, the, when the Winklevi are in the, uh, in the president of Harvard. Oh, office, you're going to steal my next line. To, yeah, what is what is great is how well they play off of each other. Mm. You can go ahead and say it, John. When he turns to his secretary and says, "Punch me in the <laughs> face." <laughs> no, 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 it's not that one. It's oh, um, okay. Yeah, no, but like for Army Hammer being one person, the way he plays off of them when they're having the discussion about, oh, I can't remember what he says to him, and he's and the principal says. Oh, I can't remember exactly what the principal said, but he said, are you saying that I'm saying? And one of the twins goes, no, I'm not saying that. And the other one goes, I'm saying that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, oh, I, I um, remember walking out of this movie the first time because it was the first time I'd ever seen Army Hammer. And mm-hmm. I thought he, like, I didn't know he wasn't, there wasn't two of him. No, there was just one of him. And Josh Pence is the uh, the other half of him. Because there are always two people playing it. It's just one of them they digitally added uh, Army's face to it. Army's face to it. Yeah, thank you. I was oh, literally wow. blank, blinking on his name for a second. Oh, also, uh, I have a, I have another line from uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend when she says, you're asking me to believe that the CFO of Facebook doesn't know how to change his relationship status <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> Which, to be honest, he was probably telling the truth. Yes. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I don't really know how it works. Yeah. I'm just the money guy. <laughs> also, I want to know what Snooky's Cookies is. Because <laughs> every, t- every time that line sn- stuck out, I'm just like... <laughs> the first time you watch it, you're like, Snooky from Jersey Shore? Oh, God. Yeah. I don't want her cookies. <laughs> They probably t- 
taste of uh, cheap gin and tanning oil. Okay, uh, was, before we move on me. to our next segment, does anybody have any worse lines? Okay, I don't have any worse line, but I have a worse delivered line. And I understand that it was only that way because they had to cut two F-words out of this movie to keep the PG-13. This movie got away with two full F-bombs. So kudos to them. Also, they had to tone down all the cocaine and uh, because PG-13. But uh, whenever they finally get the other Winklevi on board pursuing him, uh, and when he says... Uh, let's gut the friggin' nerd. <laughs> it's like, that's not what you said. <laughs> I, I would love an R-rated cut of this movie just to... Just it to... wouldn't be that different at all. No, it's just I want Erica's one fuck and Cam- and uh, the Winklevi's one fuck re- return to it. And Because, I mean, my God, there were like 12 uses of, of the word fuck in all the President's Men, and that has a PG rating. So, <laughs> let's be reasonable here. Okay, so we ready to move forward? Oh, I'll, I'll do it. So, what are some things about this movie that you uh, like that we haven't talked about? Uh, let's go with Sammy, since this is her pick. Okay. And Okay, and remember the Boogie Nights rule. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't know how much, I don't know how much more there is to say. Ugh. I don't even know what I can add. The script to this movie, for me, it's nearly flawless. It's it's not just like a really, really well-told story, but similar to Molly's Game, it's everything about how the dialogue in this film drives the characters and drives the story in a way that... To- We've talked in a few of our episodes about moments in scripts that will take you out of the script. And kind of mm-hmm. like with the ridiculous stuff that happened in Showgirls. Everything there was no about... ridiculousness in Showgirls. What are you talking about? <laughs> Everything about the dialogue in this film draws you in and makes the characters more believable. And he, I just love that he takes it a step further and he goes, I'm not just going to make these moments feel authentic, but I'm going to make them funny and there's, I don't know, there's so many quotable lines from this movie. And I like that there's, I really like that there's a mix of characters that are, you know, you really, the driving forces behind this film, you don't feel bad for. They're not essentially good people, but you have some good characters interspersed. But I think, I don't know, I think maybe one of the most underrated things about this film, because of who the writer and who the director is, is the acting. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's really, really well acted. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that, I mean. Well, I mean, and that you only get that because Fincher is not going to let you give a bad take. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than the whole movie. Joseph? Something I liked about it that we haven't talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the whole, uh, the chicken scene, or the chicken part. <laughs> that <thing. laughs> The the irony that we are talking about a movie that uh, stars a man allegedly accused of having a cannibalism fetish, uh, and there is frequent discussion of chicken cannibalism, to which uh, that's kind of unfair to Eduardo because 
chickens cannibalize each other. The only difference between, you know, nature and what he did was the chicken that chickens eat isn't necessarily uh, seasoned or cooked. <laughs> yeah. And also that probably brings into a, a much darker and depressing conversation about factory farms, but it's True. not the show we're on. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like he's like, well, I don't, this is really bad for the company. <laughs> It's like uh, animal cruelty is pretty up there on the bad things you could be doing for the company. Uh, this looks really bad on us. He goes, I didn't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. There, there is a lot of disassociation between the cooked meat we're eating and the animal that w- was once attached to it. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah. But I, that, I, like- I, I, I think to, to pay a compliment to Ted Nugent of all people, he at least understands the spiritual connection between the the meat you kill because he's the one killing it. So, well, and see, I, I really like that scene. That that whole scene, I was cracking up at it. it yeah, was just, and really just the intern, up. and just the clueless intern coding, going, "What are we talking about?" Yeah, he was. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> He's like, what's going on here, and why do I look like Pat Smear from The Germs? Well, it's, that, that's the only scene I thought of. I was like, oh, yeah, I love that scene, and I forgot all about it earlier. And I, I, I kind of mimic what Sammy says. Like, there, everything in this movie was just really well done. Like, even the lesser scenes are not really bad. They're really good. It's just it's which scene do you like the least, and it's hard to pick. So our so next segment's going to be real short. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> So I think I'll add to this. We haven't brought up the fact that uh, one of the ad execs that uh, they pitched Facebook to was played by Aaron Sorkin. He was the one that didn't quite get it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was Aaron Sorkin. I forgot all about that. Yeah. I didn't Aaron, either. Aaron, yeah, Aaron Sorkin does occasionally pop up in his own works because he's in A Few Good Men. He's in um, The West Wing. He's in this movie. Uh, and I think he's somewhere in Molly's Game as well. But unless you do what Aaron Sorkin looked like, you're not going to know. <laughs> he's just going to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's our that guy. This week's <laughs> that guy is Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> you didn't know you had, you didn't know you had a, uh, a, a that guy this week, did you, Sammy? No, I didn't. No. And I would say Aaron Sorkin is not a that guy. I, I, a that guy refers to an actor, so therefore he is okay. that guy. Yeah. He's a that guy in the way that um, you're gonna kill me because I'm I'm Stanley is a that guy. Yeah, I mean that's fair. No, that's a fair comparison. No, that's fair. It's like we're not gonna kill you. We're gonna agree with you. <laughs> no, I meant you were gonna kill me because I almost forgot Stanley's name. Oh no, no, I was sitting there going Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we get into it, I just have to ask for all of us: Is anybody have anything in the dislike column? Um, it's just a mild nitpick. I wish this movie would have been able to pass through the MPA totally uncut. I mean, I understand toning down like all the scenes of drug use and the sexuality, but leave the language like it was. I mean, I mean, thirteen-year-olds here were shit every day on the uh, you know in the hallways of school. They can handle four fucks in a two-hour movie. Yeah, I don't have any negative things, really. <laughs> yeah. The, it was over? Yeah. And it's wrong. Yeah. I think that's the only bad yeah. thing I can say about it. It's like when it, it ended. I yeah. He, well, that, and you get to the last ten minutes, and you're just like, wait, is this is this wrapping up? What What's going on? What? 
Okay, well, I have one nitpick, maybe. Or okay. it tells you at the end where all all this where they're at now is like we already know where they're at. We we don't need this. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it does kind of help. I I, I always kind of like that in movies, especially uh, true stories. So, but this is one of those where they could have admitted it, omitted it, and it would have been fine. Because it's one of those you kind of know where all these people are at most of the time. Yeah. Well. Most. Well. Well, and also in any uh, biopic that doesn't do that, you can always Google. I mean, True. Wiki- this this is the part where Wikipedia. It's not your worst, yeah, you know, not your worst enemy. But like I said, like look, really, the worst part was the end credits, just because I didn't want it to be over. I was enjoying watching this movie. Yeah. Well, and as much as I don't want this to be over, we need to ask the big question, Sammy Joseph. Just for a fucking formality, did you survive the social Joseph, network? Joseph, you first. Unfortunately, I did not survive this. I just, I could not, not bless it. Fuck, I can't do this anymore. Yes, I survived this. 100% survived it. Yeah. It's a, it's a great movie. It's I've owned it since it came out on Blu-ray, and I haven't got rid of it yet. And I probably will never will. Yeah, Shit. same. I have yet to find an Aaron Sorkin film I have, have not survived. Um, so, so we yeah, are going to end I up mean, doing Malice. This is a great so- film. Um, it's probably it's easily somewhere in my top one hundred. Now where it is on that list, I don't have a clue, but it's somewhere on there. Yeah. Find out next week where it is on Sammy's list. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't devote next week to figure it to ranking your list. I think you have like real life shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, John? Okay, so every now and then we like to talk about our my letterbox scores. And how I ranked um, Sleepaway Camp five stars. So they're inconsistency, yes. Listen, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So the question is, what did I rank the social network knowing I gave um, Sleepaway Camp five stars? I'm going to guess it's two stars. No. (laughs) Okay. I just want to torture Sammy for a second. (laughs) No, this is a five star on Letterbox for, and it's the combination of the two. It is both incredibly entertaining, but also incredibly well done. So it it pulls it off very very nicely. Oh, and I did think of just one more thing to add to the things we we only kind of hinted at. We hinted at how great uh, Reznor's music is, but particularly that scene uh, whenever he's. Uh, just gotten dumped by Erica and is and that music all the way through the face mash. That is my favorite piece of music in this, with the exception of the of the rendition of in the Hall of the Mountain King that they do during one of the rowing sequences. True. <laughs> but but to answer the question, yes, I survived this. I survived this since the day it came out. I will forever survive it. And I don't remember what beat it at the Oscars that year, but I thought this was my number. Oh, this lost to the King speech. That's what. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, to which, hmm. to which, let me say, I do really like the King speech. I do think it's a great movie. I enjoy watching that movie. And in fact, I picked it up for cheap not all that long ago and rewatched it. And I was like. I forget how good this movie is, but this was the best picture of of 2010, and I will 
tie on that hill. So, not that this is what this podcast is about, but actually, to your point with your letterbox scores, I can't believe I'm going to agree with you. There's two different categories. There is well made and there's entertaining. And yeah. both of those movies fall into both categories. I'm not even going to say The King's Speech is more well made. I'm not going to say it is. But and I do think Social Network is more entertaining. Mm-hmm. I think King's Speech is more of a best picture. I mean it has an it has an epic quality to it. So does this. I mean I I, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're going up because it's got... I think maybe just because it's British, we think it's much more classy than it really is. But, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I get why the Oscars picked it, but I'm still a little sore from Social Network not winning. But Sorkin got an Oscar and Reznor got an Oscar, so I can't bitch too much. There you go. And the Oscars bring a whole lot of questions. Like, like um, why you know, are the Oscars? Why does Chicago win over Moulin Rouge, which is clearly a better film? Be Honestly, quiet, that, John. No, actually, I was going to say that year, why did uh, Chicago win? Wait, Moulin Rouge wasn't nominated in the same yeah, year it as was. Chicago. Chicago was and Moulin it? Rouge were nominated in the same oh, year. Oh, I'm sorry. I was Team Gangs in New York because, of course, Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm restraining myself from doing a uh, Bill the Butcher impression and embarrassing myself. The only thing the Oscars have done right in a long time is take away the Oscar they gave to La La Land. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he'll never get. It. <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever I mean, seen. <laughs> I mean, Moonlight was the more deserving film. You know what? That that is the case of the Oscars bucking, bucking the King's Speech versus Social Network trend. <laughs> Assuming Social Network was a micro budget film about a young gay black man. The only thing better was the memes that came afterwards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and also how Price Waterhouse got super fired after that. <laughs> One of these days we'll get into Sammy's hatred of that movie and how she literally stood up at a public theater after the movie was over and went, that's bullshit. So tune in next week whenever I completely obliterate Pride Month just to to unpack all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess clumsy segue into that. So next week we, uh, we kick off Pride Month. Um, if you haven't listened to the Showgirls episode, first of all, what's wrong with you? But um, we are doing a month worth of uh, queer cinema that I handpicked, and I took the laziest way of doing it uh, because I took LGBT and made a, and picked one movie per week. And I'm sorry, you know, pansexuals, non-binaries, all the different, you know, Non, not part of the the main four categories. There's not movies about us yet, but we will get there. But next week we are kicking it off with L for lesbian, and we are returning to uh, Sammy's weird un <laughs> unhinged hatred of Gina Gershon's face as we take on what I think is the Wachowskis' uh, masterpiece, Bound. And we, we may have guests on there. I don't know. It just kind of depends on timing. <laughs> so, 
I don't want to set you. This is going to be very interesting to see because I haven't watched Bound in years. I haven't watched Bound in months, so <laughs> it's been. All t- I'm curious to what I think of it now because I'm remembering it as a teenage Joseph, not a yeah. 35 year old Joseph. So teenage so, Joseph probably saw a lot of different things than 35 year old Joseph thinks. So or look, it could be the same. I'm not sure. <laughs> l- listen, um, teenage John and 39 year old John feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there, but uh, I am trying to get uh, members of the LGBTQIA plus community on there, mostly just because I don't want to be the only queer representation on this damn show <laughs> for this month. So that is it. Uh, does anybody have anything they want to plug? Uh, mm, no. Anything. No, all right. Honestly, I haven't had time to watch anything this week except for the social network. <laughs> I'm, I've been watching more sitcoms. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I watched a rerun of Todd in the Shadows uh, today. It was the Sane Anger episode of Train Records. So <laughs> that, that was all. That's always good for a watch. All right. Since we have nothing, we'll probably have more next week, but. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please like us on, give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Like us on the social medias. We've got the, we've got the Facebook, we've got the Twitter, we've got the Instagram, and we've got the TikTok. And uh, Sammy is, of course, uploading stuff as she can over to YouTube. So uh, you can't see our faces, and you're welcome for from two of us. You know, not Sammy on that one. <laughs> We're going to make Sammy the face of the show now. <laughs> oh, Lord. But anyway, so Sammy, Joseph, thank you for tuning in once again. <laughs> for tuning in. Wow. For being on the show one more week. And uh, until then, we're going to go get us some fucking nerds. Surviving Chick Flicks is created and hosted by John Baggett and Samantha McDaniel. Our audio engineer and editor is Cody McLean. For an ad-free version of the show, please visit patreon.com slash surviving chick flicks where $5 a month gets you an ad-free version of the show as well as our manly movie of the month. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. All opinions are that of the hosts and no copyright infringements are intended. Surviving Chick Flicks is a Circle of Jug production, all rights reserved. Drop the the, just Facebook. It's cleaner.